Good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's good to see you guys today. Welcome. Uh, I don't get to say this very often uh, without it sounding super self-serving, but since I'm not on the band today, I would just like to take a chance to say I love our band members and our worship team here. I love the way they help us see Jesus all the time. Yeah. Clearly, you feel the same. I'm grateful. Um, You know, we as a church have been in uh, the book of Acts since two Januaries ago, but did you know that today is actually week 52, so a literal year of Acts sermons that we have had so far, and it's crazy to think we're actually going to be done with it at the end of August, so I guess we're going to have to look at some other part of the Bible. Uh, We won't know what to do with ourselves, I'm sure, Um, but we are, uh, here we are drawing kind of to the very end, the last part of the book of Acts. Last week, Jason had us in chapter 21 talking about Paul's painful path. If you remember, Paul had been misunderstood. He had been uh, mistreated. He had been beaten. He had been rejected. He had been falsely accused and arrested. You could put all kinds of other painful descriptors in there. Paul was going through it. And uh, at the end of chapter 21, we see Paul standing uh, before the tribune uh, on this, in a sense, this false trial uh, that's about to happen, and he asks for the chance to speak. Paul asks for the chance to share something. And if you're, I don't know if you're ever in a position like this, I can be in a position sometimes where people ask me for a chance to speak. Like when I'm planning services, sometimes people will ask, ask for a chance to share something, or If you're leading a growth group, somebody's like, hey, I know we're about to be done, but can I just share one more thing real quick? Or maybe you're in a setting where like, like I've planned funerals before and people just stand up and they're like, I've got something to share, you know? As a guy like me, that just makes me super nervous because you never know what people are going to share. You never know what's going to come out. Uh, It's not the most comfortable of settings. To me, I guess I'm always nervous about the next Kanye situation where he's, somebody's going to jump on stage and be like, listen, you're good, but they're better. You know, like I'm waiting for something crazy like that to come out. So if I'm the tribune who's in this situation with Paul, I would be a little bit nervous. But he gives Paul the opportunity. He gives him a chance. And chapter 21 ends with Paul going, shh, listen. And then that's where it stopped. And we just left on this cliffhanger last week of like, what's he got to say? So today we get to get into chapter 22 where I actually get to talk about what does he share? What does Paul get to say? And just as we get into this, I want to just kind of remind us that as we read through chapter 22, we're going to do all of it today. We're going to do all of chapter 22. As we do that today, you're going to see the names Paul and Saul go back and forth. Maybe you're a church kid like me who sometime along the way got the impression that there was Saul and then he got saved and God changed his name to Paul. But that's not really in the Bible anywhere. That's just something that we kind of came up with somewhere. The reality is that Saul and Paul are the same name, just in different languages. So one's a Hebrew name, one's a Roman name. So when I'm here in Ohio, my name's Phil. When I went to Mexico... I was, I was speaking with some of the people in one of the towns we were in, and they were like, Phil, Felipe. They called me Felipe for an entire week. Same guy, right? 
I didn't get saved in Mexico, but they called me Felipe. This is the situation, Saul and Paul, different contexts, different areas, same guy. That's not, you know, so we don't have to camp out there too long. But as we read through this, you're going to see Saul and Paul, those names go back and forth. So as we jump into chapter 22, we finally get to hear what it is that Paul has said. Remember, he has kind of motioned to the crowd, asked them to be quiet so that he can finally speak to them. And we have, uh, we get a chance to hear it straight from his mouth today. So let's jump into Acts 22. We'll start in verse 1. Paul says, brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. See, Paul spoke to them in a very specific way. When it says the Hebrew language here, if you look at the original language, the context of the way this is written, it's not just talking Hebrew, Hebrew. This is, they actually, it's Aramaic, which is kind of the common man's version of language. So he didn't just step up and start reciting Hebrew. He was speaking Aramaic, which made everybody listen up like, huh. So this guy knows like the common language of the day. Okay, interesting. See, he wasn't using the language of the elites. It would be kind of the the difference of me preaching to you today in common English versus like old English. If you want me to speak like Shakespeare, I could try but I have a feeling we might listen better if I just spoke in normal words. That's Paul's, that's what Paul's doing here, right? He's not speaking in the language of elites. He's speaking the common language, the common Hebrew, Aramaic. So he said in verse three, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are in this day. So, Paul's still kind of being nice. If you remember last week, Jason talked about how he was being pretty nice in this scenario, being pretty polite. He's still being nice because he's finding common ground with them. Like, hey, I'm a Jew too. I, I grew up right here in this town. He even says, I trained under Gamaliel, which that's a name we've heard before. In the first part of Acts, we learn about Gamaliel as the guy who steps up when Peter and John are on trial. He's one of the members of the Jewish council who steps up when Peter and John are on trial and this guy steps up and he's like, hey, Guys, maybe we should just chill out. He's telling this to the council. Because if this is just two dudes, it's going to die anyways. But if this is from God, we're going to find ourselves fighting against God. This is Gamaliel. Gamaliel is the guy who was Paul's teacher. So it's important for us to catch that. In verse 4, I persecuted this way to the death binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. See, they're not catching this yet, but Paul is doing something intentional here. He's starting to let them in on the wrong things that he has done. Now they think he's just fine, but he's starting to let them in on his religious sinfulness. He knows what he's doing. Verse 6, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. This is taking a turn. This is a wild experience here. All of a sudden now Paul is talking about 
There's a giant blinding light. It knocks him over. This giant blinding light is talking to him. This is a significant part uh, of him telling this story here. As Jason preached about this in Acts 9, we actually have an account of this whole thing happening in Acts 9. This is the first time Paul is sharing it, but the story is told in Acts 9 as well. Jason called that the divine interruption, where God stepped in and just started changing stuff. And that's what happened here. See, Paul was a guy who was zealous for God. Just remember, he said, just as all of you are today, he was zealous for God, but he's starting to share with them that he was starting to see that God and Jesus are on the same team. Hinting at they are one and the same. Remember what Paul's teacher Gamaliel said earlier in Acts. Paul was realizing, he's sharing with them that he realized I wasn't just persecuting Christians, I was persecuting God himself. So going on in verse 9, though those who were with me saw the light but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. Seeing but not understanding. That's a whole sermon I could preach to, but not today. Verse 10. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go to Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. See, did you catch? He called him Lord again. So just as he said, who are you, Lord? The light says, I'm Jesus. Paul still calls him Lord again. So now in front of all of these Jews, he's saying Jesus is Lord Again, Paul knows exactly what he's doing. He's doing this on purpose. Verse 11, And since I could not see because of the brightness of this light, I was led by hand to those who were with me, and I came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me, and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And that very hour I received my sight, and I saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear the voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. I was so tempted just to kind of like brush right by verse 16, but verse 16 could potentially be a little bit of a cause of confusion for all of us good Baptists. Because verse 16 sounds like a progression. Rise, be baptized, wash away your sins, call on his name. Right, it sounds like a progression. And if it's a progression, well, then I'm confused. Because this makes it sound like being baptized washes away my sins. But this is why it's important to have some understanding of contextual language, which not all of us have. Uh, but this is one of those things where a study Bible could be super helpful because you actually find the way that this was written in the original language, the subject of the sentence is the very last phrase, calling on his name. That's the subject of the sentence. All of the things before it are imperatives that come from the subject of the sentence. So calling on his name, don't wait. Calling on his name, rise. Calling on his name, be baptized. Calling on his name, wash away your sins. It's not a progression. It's not a one, then two, then three, then four. It's a because you've called on his name, all of these things. So it's important for us to catch that because I don't want anyone leaving here today saying, hey, we read in the Bible today that baptism saves you. 
because we have so many other places in Scripture that tell us that is not the case. It is actually the belief in Jesus. Calling on Jesus as Lord is what saves us. All of the other things come because of that belief. So we won't hang out there forever, but I didn't want us just to breeze by that and potentially leave confusion there. Verse 17, when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. This is an interesting, remember this gets a little wild again. He's now he's praying at the temple and all of a sudden he's seeing a vision of some kind. And it's Jesus saying to him, hey, you got to go. They're not going to accept what you have to say. Paul almost makes it sound like he's saying, but these people are probably the best people to get what I have to say because they know who I was before. They saw what I did. They saw all the junk that I was involved in before, and they would be able to know if I was different. They would be able to know that something has changed. But God had other plans. And it says that God sent him away because he was sending him to the Gentiles. Verse 22, up to this word they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, and I'm going to pause right here, right in the middle of a sentence. Did you catch what just happened? Up until now, they were listening just fine. Then they went crazy. Why'd they go crazy? Not because he said Jesus was Lord. They went crazy because they, Paul said that Jesus sent him to the Gentiles. That's what made them go nuts. The message of grace for the Gentiles was so offensive to them because they were so steeped in prejudice. This is racism. This is them being so covered in their own uh, presuppositions about what God was supposed to do that they couldn't possibly be open to the idea that he might want to do something different. Whenever, whenever religion and prejudice like that mix, it's always gross. Our American history tells us that there are countries all over the world who have experienced the same thing. Anytime religion and prejudice and racism mix, the outcome is going to be ridiculous. The Jews got so mad, they started removing their coats. I think about, like, why? You know, like, maybe it's like the old movies that you see where it's like, hey, you and me are going to step outside and handle this like men, and then they take off their coats and they roll up their sleeves and they're duking it out, you know? Maybe. But think about what, what Paul had just shared with them. The last time that people were taken off their coats and Paul was there, and they were stoning Stephen. See, I think what they're hinting at here is that they were getting themselves ready to start stoning Paul. So they're mad. But it's not just that. They're, it says they're throwing dust in the air. And maybe there's some like cultural relevance to that, but none of the commentaries really talk about it. It's, maybe it's like you know shaking the dust from your feet when you leave a town that doesn't accept you. Who knows? All I get in my head is this picture of like a childhood temper tantrum. 
God's going to send me to the Gentiles. What? Oh my goodness, I can't believe it. This guy shouldn't even be allowed to live. That's like what this comes across like. My Mima would say, he's throwing a fit. That's what this feels like. A whole bunch of man babies just shouting and throwing stuff. All because God told Paul that he had a plan for the Gentiles. In verse 24, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging, a.k.a. torture, to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. The tribune came to him and said, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I'm a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Maybe you're thinking, why did that make them afraid? Why would they be afraid of Paul being a Roman citizen? Paul had shared that he was a Jew, but he hadn't yet revealed that he was a Roman. But in this moment, he shares that he's a Roman, and not just a Roman, but a Roman by birth, a Roman citizen by birth, which was like an elite form of citizenship. And it was illegal to bind or flog a Roman citizen without a trial. So all these dudes in charge are starting to realize, uh-oh, uh, what happened? You get this picture of like they've stretched him out and this centurion's got the whip ready to go and Paul's just like, can you do this to a Roman citizen who hasn't had a trial? And the centurion's like, say what now? And he's like, give me a second. I'll be right back. Hey, boss man. He's a Roman citizen. Boss man's like, huh? Goes over here. Are you a citizen? Paul says, yep. I'm rich. That's how I became a citizen. How'd you become a citizen? Paul said, I was born into it. All of a sudden, they're like, ooh, man. Centurion's like, what whip? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> They're all like, who put this guy in handcuffs? <laughs> who did that? Somebody, somebody get those off of him already. You know, immediately they're all nervous because they realize they're breaking their own law. Verse 30, but on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and set them before him set him before them. So the tribune lets him go, kinda. He released him from Roman custody, but then still took him before the Jewish council. And this is kind of where the passage ends. So Paul's gotten to share, but he's still kind of in this weird limbo place, and it's almost another cliffhanger, but spoiler alert, Paul's got a lot more to say. Jason's going to talk about a lot of that in the coming weeks. But this is a pretty interesting account of Paul's journey so far. And you might be reading all of that and saying, okay, unique story, but what is this all about? What does this have to do with us? 
And that's where I would say this whole chapter is ultimately about Paul sharing his story, his personal story. And so because of that, I think there are a handful of things that we can take with us about how we share our personal stories too. They're not going to be deep and profound. They're just simple ideas of what we learn from Paul as he shared his story. The first one is just be ready to share it. It sounds so simple, right? Be ready to share it. At the end of chapter 21 and here in 22, Paul is not only ready, he's asking for the opportunity. So being ready means being ready, not just hoping we'll react well if the moment arises. Because chances are we're not that good at that. Being ready means thinking it through. Make a plan. Look out for the opportunities to share your story. Like Ananias told Paul, God had a plan to use his story. And you've heard me say this before, and I feel like I will say it for the rest of my life because it's a theme throughout the New Testament, but what God does in you, he does through you. What God does in you, he does through you. So your story is important, so be ready to share it. Be ready to share it. God saving you isn't just for you. Christian, you got to know that. This whole idea of like this private, personal Christianity is just a load of baloney. It's not real. What God does in you, he does through you. So be ready to share your story. But second, share to connect, not to impress. Share to connect, not to impress. Remember, Paul had all the education. He had all the smarts. In this moment, Paul could have stepped up there and gone through a 14-point dissertation on the communion of the Godhead and its impacts on the depravity of man. But he didn't do that. He spoke common language. He spoke the people's language. He did that on purpose. He actually says multiple times throughout his letters to the churches that he chose not to use this lofty, impressive, clever speech. He had it, but he chose not to use it. Why? There's this old Scottish theologian from the late 1800s named James Denny. James Denny says, No man can give the impression that he himself is clever and that Christ is mighty to save. Basically, you can't highlight yourself and Jesus. It won't work. Being impressive wins people to you but not Christ. And newsflash, you can't save. Your wit, your charm, your smarts, your education, your seminary language, your, all those things, they don't save people. Jesus does. It's so tempting to try to share our story in an impressive way, but we gotta fight that temptation and look for ways to connect instead. Think about the ways that Paul looked for relation throughout this chapter. Even with the tribune, he's connecting with him over citizenship. He's speaking to the Jewish crowd, relating to them on the fact that he's a Jew too. He gets it. He gets their zeal for God. He even relates to them on their disdain for Christians. Paul's like, I remember that. That's how I used to feel. He looked for these correlation points, these common grounds. He looked for them. So look for those ways. When we are ready to share our story, when we share to connect, not to impress, we can look for those common grounds. 
You'll actually notice all these things that we're going to talk about as, as takeaways for us. They're all very simple wording. That's for two reasons. One, because I want to practice what I preach. But two, I'm also just not that smart. So we'll word it as simple as possible. Because hopefully, the simpler it is, the easier it is to grab. Potentially, maybe we grab onto it a little bit faster, a little more often. So be ready to share it. Share to connect. Number three, don't skip the hard parts. Don't skip the hard parts. Paul shared his sin. He shared the parts that probably drove him to shame on his dark days. Remember, he shared with them about his past experience and what he did. Most likely, if Paul was just a normal guy like one of us, there were nights when he closed his eyes to go to bed and all he could see when he closed his eyes was the dying face of Stephen, who he stood by and watched die. He probably closed his eyes and saw the faces of those women and children that he bound and had imprisoned. See, the parts of his story that were hard, he was not afraid to share. He shared them with everybody. His complicity and all that he had done, he shared them. We're so tempted to skip past the dark parts, the hard parts, the embarrassing parts. We're so tempted to skip past those. Why? Because we don't like vulnerability. We are naturally averse to anything that exposes us. We don't want to tell people about our anger. We don't want to tell people about our porn addiction. We don't want to tell people about our self-righteousness or our dishonesty or our idolatry or our depression. We don't want to tell people about those things. But guess what? Those, those are just descriptors of my story. Put your descriptors in there. What would yours be? How has, how has God shined his light on those areas of your life? on your unfaithfulness, on your criminal past, on your addiction, on your idolatry, your materialism, your sin. How has God shined his light on those things? We want to skip over those, but oftentimes those are the things that God uses as connection points with other people because when we share those things, that's actually what shows people that, hey, if God shines light on that, then maybe he'll shine light on this. If God can shine light on his dark parts, maybe he can shine light on mine too. Don't skip past those things because those things might actually be the very thing that give you an open door. Don't skip past them. I want to take a side note here and also say on the other side of that coin, don't be tempted to minimize your story either. Maybe your hard parts in your eyes don't look as hard as someone else's. We've got a couple. They normally sit right down here in the front row. They're in our growth group. And this past week, Mark said this phrase, we're so tempted to always compare our hard. Like my heart is not as hard as someone else's heart, but it's all hard. We're tempted to minimize our story, especially us church kids. Maybe you came to Christ at five after a Sunday school lesson and part of you is so tempted to be like, well, yeah, I came to Jesus when I was like a little kid and kind of just been in church ever since and, you know, it's kind of a boring story. 
Maybe you're tempted to say that. I get it. But please don't ever do that again. Don't ever share it that way again. If you have shared it that way, you're forgiven, but don't do it anymore. Here's why. Every testimony is a death to life story. Every single one. Whether you were dead in your sin at age five or dead in your sin at 75, you come back to life, that's still a miracle. So don't minimize your story just because it's not the same as someone else's. God did something in you. Share it. Think about the book of Acts, where we've been so far. We've kind of highlighted two main characters all through the book of Acts besides Jesus. Peter and Paul. Peter and Paul could not be more different. Think about it. Think about their backstory. One's a blue-collar fisherman, the other more of like a religious and political elite. One was called by Jesus while working on the shore, the other by Jesus in a bright, miraculous light. One followed Jesus and then denied him, the other persecuted him and then followed him. One sunk in the water, the other fell off a horse. But Jesus spoke to both of them, and Jesus spoke through both of them. God used both of their stories in huge ways for all of us who are called the church now. So don't skip the hard parts and don't minimize your story because you have no clue how God might want to use it. You might be shocked at what resonates with someone about your story. You might be totally surprised at the things that will catch people about your story. So don't, don't skip those hard parts. Don't minimize it. But number four, don't expect everyone to like it either. This gets uncomfortable too. We don't like exposing our hard parts either, but we also don't like rejection. Paul, when he was sharing his story... It was very clear, not everyone liked it, especially the religious people. They did not like it. The Jews threw tantrums because of Paul's story. Shocker, people have a lot of opinions. Some of you who are in here right now have the opinion that olives are a reasonable food to eat, and you are clearly wrong. But I still love you, and I will share with you either way, right? We have opinions all over the place, but those opinions shouldn't keep us from whether or not we're going to share our story. We can't expect everyone to like it. Jason said last week, prepare for the painful path. Maybe part of your painful path is rejection. Maybe part of your painful path is someone not caring about what you have to say. But when we are prepared for it, we are less shocked by the opposition. When we're prepared for it, the opposition doesn't hit us as hard. Why? Because the more grounded we are in our identity in Christ, the less tempted we are to find our identity in the approval of others. We will live for the approval of others until we know who we are in Jesus. And then once we know who we are in Jesus just doesn't matter the same way. All those opinions, all those thoughts, it just doesn't matter the same way. So don't be shocked if people don't want to hear it, but don't let the fear of rejection 
or maybe realistically for us today, the fear of awkwardness keep you from sharing your story because God did a work in you. He did a work in you. It's worth talking about. So be ready to share it. Share it to connect. Don't skip those hard parts. Don't expect everyone to like it. But then last, make a big deal of Jesus. Paul was intentional to describe the power of his interaction with Jesus. Think about the language he used. It was unlike anything he'd seen or heard. This miraculous light from heaven was speaking to him. He was bewildered. It knocked him down. He was blinded. He had to have people help him back up, right? This was a powerful interaction, and Paul wanted to make sure people knew that. He came back multiple times to saying that Jesus and God are the same. And to us who are sitting here today, maybe that's not shocking news, but I'm telling you, in this day, that was a huge deal. To say that Jesus was God would have been a revolutionary thing to say in a crowd of Jews. But he does it. He talked about being sent by Jesus. Paul talked about how he used to be one way, but because of Jesus, he's different. Something changed. He used to be one guy, but now he's a different guy, all because of Jesus. That's a testimony. That's what a testimony is. When you share your story, the overarching theme should be that Jesus is the game changer. That's it. It's right in the middle. That's the big deal. Jesus changes things. Back in January, my son and I, along with a bunch of friends from our growth group, got the opportunity to go to Togo, Africa, to see UBC's missionaries there, the Natiers. Uh, Bryce and Natasha Natir and all of their kids. In fact, if you guys would, let's all turn right back here and look at these cameras back here. Just wave, say, hi, Natiers. Hey. They watch our sermons every week. Uh, so you guys have just made them feel at home. But we got to go there to Togo, Africa, to be with our missionaries. And on our way there, our team leaders, Jim and Sandy Corbin, Jim is our director of missions and mercy here, they trained us on a couple tools for how we can share our story making Jesus the big deal. One of those is this simple thing called the 15-second testimony. A 15-second testimony is exactly what it sounds like. It's a short, simple way to talk about who you were, what Jesus did, and who he has made you. It looks a little bit like this. There was a time in my life when I blank. But then I met Jesus, and he forgave me and called me to follow him and now I blank. Do you have a story like that? That's a simple 15-second testimony. Paul's might have sounded like this. There was a time in my life when I was so full of prejudice that I persecuted people that didn't agree with me, and I even had them beaten and jailed and killed. But then I met Jesus. He forgave me. He called me to follow him. Now I have a purpose to live for and a desire to help people. My 15-second testimony might sound like this. There was a time in my life when I was prideful and self-righteous and living to impress other people. But then I met Jesus, and he forgave me, and he called me to know and follow him. Now I can be real, flaws and all, and God helps me think about others more than myself. Do you have a story like that? That's a simple thing, right? It's so simple that I'm going to encourage you to do it right now. 
I want to encourage every one of you to pull out your phone or to pull out a note, uh, a note, a piece of paper and a pen and start making a note. I want to encourage you to do this right now. Some of you are looking at me without doing any of those things, and I'm saying, <laughs> do it right now. <laughs> pull out your phone, start a new note, pull out, your, pull out a pen of paper. If you don't have any of those, steal the connection card in front of you. Don't tell Jaron that I said that. But start to write this out. How would you fill in those blanks? There was a time in my life when I blank. How would you describe that? Maybe you would say there was a time in my life when I was addicted. There was a time in my life when I was living for money. There was a time in my life when I was steeped in depression. There was a time in my life when I was so full of anger. There was a time in my life when I judged everyone. How would you finish that? Write down two or three words that you might use to fill in that blank. How would you do it? But then I met Jesus. He forgave me of those things. He called me to follow him. Now I blank. How would you say that? See, for me, I live to please others. But God forgave me of that. And what changed is now I can live to help others not just to please them. I can live to help others see Jesus. I, li I lived before so full of pride and so full of my own self-righteousness, but because of Jesus, now I know I can be genuine. And I'm not perfect, and I don't get it all right. All of my depression didn't go away just like that, and all of my hard things didn't go away just like that, but now I have Jesus, and because I have Jesus, I get to experience something different. That's what Jesus does. So I want you to fill out those blanks. There was a time in my life when I, but then I met Jesus and he forgave me. He called me to know him and follow him and now I, and then when you share your story, you get to ask that last question. Do you have a story like that? And invite them in. And a follower of Jesus might say, yeah, I do have a story like that and this is how. And those who don't know Jesus might be just willing to say, I don't know. I don't know. How do, how do I get that change? How does that work? What do you mean you met Jesus? And you might just find that just a willingness to share your simple story might give you the opportunity to actually share the gospel with someone. The good news of who Jesus is and why he came and what he did on the cross and how that applies to you you might get the chance to do that. And maybe you're saying, Phil, that sounds great, but I don't know how to do that either. I love that idea, but I don't know how to share the gospel either. What do I do there? One of the other tools we learned on the trip was something called Three Circles. If you go to the UBC website, the missions page has a little link that says tools, and you can see a four-minute video that shows you how to share the gospel using these three circles. So your 15-second testimony might open you up the opportunity to share the gospel in four or five minutes. Maybe that'll lead to an hour-long conversation. And you just might find yourself making a friend who now wants to talk to you about Jesus again at some point in the future. All because you are willing and ready to share your story, your simple story. When we share our story and show that Jesus is the big deal of the story, God might just open doors we would be blown away by. So I want to encourage you, be ready to share it.
Share it to connect, not to impress. Don't skip over those hard parts. Don't expect everyone to like it. And always make Jesus the big deal of what you have to say, of what you have to share. Make him the big deal. So right now our band's going to lead us in a couple songs. And both of these songs that we're going to sing, they're all about this. They're all about us seeing our life through the lens of Jesus and specifically what God does in his people and through his people. Not just in services, but every day, what God does in and through his people. So if you need to take a minute and continue writing out those 15-second testimony ideas, feel free to do that. If you need to sit there and just pray and think through things about, Lord, I've been ashamed to do this. I've been too scared to do this. Give me a readiness. Give me a willingness and a boldness. Maybe that's what you need to do. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're ready to just sing and to let your heart respond in worship. That's fine too. Any of the above is fine right now. But I want to encourage you, take some time as the band leads us to think about your life through the lens of God doing in you and through you what he has been doing for generations.